This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Nora Flaherty. It's a wintry January night, and in the brightly lit gymnasium of a Catholic girls' high school in the West Village, the Magis Theatre Company is getting warmed up. After a few minutes of breathing exercises and a lot of stomping around and stretching, they start with some exercises to help them with the production they're working on now. The actors rush forward and jump back and gesticulate a lot. You can't tell because they're all talking at once, but what they're doing is working on their lines in The Great Divorce, a theatrical adaptation of a C.S. Lewis novel. Many of us know C.S. Lewis mainly from his Chronicles of Narnia books, but a lot of his writing was very seriously spiritual. That's certainly true of The Great Divorce. It's ostensibly a book about a bus ride, but it's really about heaven, hell, redemption, and choice. George Drance is the artistic director of the Magis Theatre Company. He adapted The Great Divorce for the theatre with permission from Lewis's estate. Drance was in a unique position to adapt Lewis's very religious work. That's because he's a Catholic priest, a member of the Jesuit order. He's also a teacher. He's artist-in-residence at Fordham University, among other positions, and a working actor. George Drance is my guest today on Fordham Conversations. We spoke earlier this week about the Magis Theatre Company, the Great Divorce, and what it means exactly to be a priest and an actor at the same time. George Drance, welcome. Thanks, Nora. Now, tell me about the Magis Theatre Company. Sure. The Magis Theatre Company is a group of professional actors, uh, most of whom were trained at the Columbia University Master of Fine Arts program. It uh, started, actually, with uh, a fun beginning where we were at a, uh, a gathering of alumni, and we were always talking about the possibility of getting together to do the kind of training that we did in our graduate studies. It's a very particularized kind of training, and there are elements of it that are available in classes throughout the city, but there are missing elements, and uh, the overall connection between one element of the training and another element of the training isn't really available anywhere in the city. So we decided that it would be good for us to get together and do that for each other and provide that for any other actors who, that are interested in this particular kind of training. We mostly focus on actor training. We also teach in schools. We do workshops for acting teachers. Uh, we've done workshops at uh, different voice symposiums. There's a lot of interest in our vocal work, actually, among the medical and speech pathology worlds. Uh, some of the techniques that we use are being uh, employed for recuperation for Parkinson's patients, for example. So uh, it's really a group of actors that is very interested in theatricality. And once a year, we do a production that really puts that training to the test. Without something that's going to see how the training works on stage, it just becomes ivory tower. But with the uh, the performance component, it's really a great way of showing that the technique actually has application, not only for theater, but for other fields as well. If I were to walk in off the street and see you training, what would I see? What would this technique involve? Well, the techniques that we use are the closest thing that we could come to what a musician would call scales or what a ballet dancer would call bar exercises. The techniques are not really meant to be a bag of tricks. They're not really meant to be something that, oh, how can I put this into the scene? What they are is ways of creating uh, flexibility within the actor, creating a real sense of presence on stage. Now, tell me about how Magis works, because you don't just get together and teach other actors. You also have 
a job to do in the school where you have your rehearsal space. That's right. We have an agreement with Notre Dame School, and it's a, a Catholic girls' high school. And what we do is once a week we train with the girls. We actually give them the same training that we would give professional actors. We work with them, and uh, once a year we put on a production with the students at the school. So we're also teaching artists as well. So what kinds of productions has the Magis Theater done? Our first professional production was a production of The Winter's Tale, directed by Julia Whitworth. It was a beautiful production. The Winter's Tale is a story about a monarch who becomes enraged with jealousy and with suspicion about his wife being unfaithful uh, and betraying him with his best friend. Through his suspicion, he actually causes the death of his one of his children, and we believe that the queen has also died. Now, in the course of the play, there are transformations, there's providence, there's new lands, there are clowns, and all of that bring the lost child, which was the second of the monarch's children, back to him. And also we witness the rebirth or the resurrection of the dead queen. A beautiful story of forgiveness and about the power of forgiveness. Um, so that was our first production. With with C.S. Lewis's Great Divorce, we also have a beautiful story about freedom. And it's a, a fantastical bus trip from hell to heaven. Anyone can get on the bus at all. The curious thing is people have all kinds of reasons why they don't or why they won't or why they would prefer to stay in the hell of their own making. Then, for those that actually get to heaven, many of them would prefer to go back to the hell that they know than allow themselves to be transformed into what heaven evokes from them. So it's really about what we hang on to and why we hang on to it. The characters are so real and so intimate and so wonderfully quirky and fun and natural and emblematic of all of our own struggles. Both of the plays that you have done productions of have a lot to do with redemption, faith, other issues like that. And given that, and because you are a Jesuit priest, I have to ask, does Magus have a religious slant? The actors and the artists in the Magus company come from all different religious traditions. What we like to do is explore pieces of art, uh, pieces of literature that really speak to our common shared humanity. What we find is that in our struggling with the different lenses that we have from our different traditions, we really come to an in-depth look at all of these works of art, and it really enriches the process and the collaboration in that. We really, I think, within the Jesuit tradition, we come to see theater as the early companions did. The early Jesuits saw theater as another ministry of the word, and they actually presented plays of epic scale in their schools. They did huge works based on Greek mythology, based on all kinds of legends, based on pieces of literature that really had a moral component, that talked about choice, that allowed people to see on stage a kind of a crystallization of what Ignatius talks about in the spiritual exercise as discernment of spirits. How do I, as a human being in the everyday world, understand the various movements that are going on inside my own soul, inside my own mind, inside my own conscience. Which of these are helpful? Which of these are harmful? 
Which of these lead me to God? Which of these lead me away to God? So these stories, uh, I think really all of the great works of literature and art lead us into those choices, lead us into what makes us more than just the little puny bits of matter that we believe ourselves to be and what allows us to soar, what allows us to really uh, fly, and what allows us to be as alive and vital as, as God made us. Now, a lot of people are mainly familiar with C.S. Lewis from the movie that was made of his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And they might be surprised to learn that not only is he a very religious writer, but he was also a very serious writer. Did you feel like there was some kind of responsibility to adapt this for the theater in a way that people were going to get? I think we certainly have that responsibility, but I think the text takes care of that as well. In one point, the spirit guide for C.S. Lewis in his heaven journey says to him, give no poor fool the pretext to think that you're claiming knowledge of what no mortal knows. So within this vision that C.S. Lewis is allowed to see uh, is this disclaimer, if you will, that uh, it's certainly a way of understanding something. And allegory functions that way. Allegory isn't meant to be literal. It's not meant to be science. It's not meant to be history. It's meant to be poetry that expresses a deeper reality than one that we might have thought of before. The text isn't making theological existential claims. It's really asking us to look at what we do with our freedom, how we experience heaven, how we experience hell. Now, you actually were the person who adapted uh, the story, The Great Divorce, for the stage. What was interesting about that in terms of writing for the stage? Well, certainly his use of allegory, his use of the imagination of the fantastical, it really just screams for the theater. It's also very difficult to do if you have a style of theater that's very literal. But what I love about the text is that it can, as a book, really awaken the imagination. So rather than literally showing everything in the book, what we try to do is put it on stage in a way that focuses on the actor and the actions, but leaves everything else, place, setting, time, uh, quality, all of that up to the imagination that engages the imagination. We have a wonderful creative team. Uh, Jeffrey Salzberg is our lighting designer and working with Ralph Lee on puppets and Evan Crane on set and uh, music by Elizabeth Suedos. I think we've come up with a way of really evoking an imaginative response in a very sparse and pure setting. I was very interested. I went to a rehearsal of this play last week, and I was very interested in the puppets. Tell me why you decided to use puppets. Sure. Well, there are certain things that the the play really demands, and one of those is that a lizard transforms into a stallion. So uh, that is something that you really... Uh, have to give a little bit more than just an explanation or just the words to. I've worked with Ralph Lee on a couple of productions, and his puppet style, I call him the MacGyver of puppetry. He can take anything and make it come alive. He's really so gifted and so talented in that way. And uh, when I saw that there were these transformations that the script required, the first person I thought of was Ralph. 
and to employ his expertise and his creativity and his aesthetic for this. So there are some really beautiful moments. Um, the lizard transformation, a, a talking waterfall, for example, is another one. The tragedian at the end, a tragic actor who grows as his dwarf master shrinks. So things like that really are opportunities to use the fantasy and to show the fantasy on stage. I think Ralph's puppets do a great job in that. And in that, we also have to give a lot of thanks to the Jim Henson Foundation for helping us with uh, our work in the puppets. Now, you did get permission from C.S. Lewis's estate to adapt this play. Tell me about what that was like. Was that was that difficult at all? Well, I always knew from the first time that I read the book, which was actually my senior year in high school, I knew that I wanted to do this sometime. So... Uh, a last last few years, I'd been thinking about it after our first production with Magus. I always knew that we wanted to do this, and so I began a kind of a correspondence with the C.S. Lewis estate. It went on for a few years, actually, before we actually got the rights to do this. So in anticipating that uh, his popularity might boom after the, the film of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, I wanted to... Uh, firm up the relationship where we could actually do the adaptation and the stage production. And so because we had already corresponded about it, it was a very natural thing. You are listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. One uh, sort of principle about speaking with a puppet Uh is that you always... Close the mouth at the end of a word. Um, My name is Elizabeth Mutton. I'm part of the Magis Theatre Company, and uh, during the day I do some freelance investment banking work, sort of, very opposite from this. Um, I live in Brooklyn. Be careful. He can do it. He can kill me. One fatal word from you, and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How will you live? <laughs> um, this is the lizard, which is the personification of lust in the scene that's in. And so it's kind of riding around on this guy's shoulder and tempting him and kind of leading him astray. He feels really embarrassed about it. He has to leave because he has this horrible thing. And in the end, it's kind of a question of what, how, how can we transform what's within us that may not be the best of everything into something that, that is let go of that and, and create can be something that's better, that has a higher calling. We're talking today about a new production from the Magis Theatre Company. The Great Divorce plays January 17th through February 11th at Theatre 315 in New York City's Theatre District. My guest is George Drantz. He is the artistic director of the Magis Theatre Company, and he's a Jesuit priest. He's also an artist-in-residence at Fordham University and a working actor. Let's return to our conversation. Now might be a good time to ask you... Um, what does it mean to be a Jesuit priest? And then also, what does it mean for you as the artistic director of this theater and as an actor? Sure. Well, within the Catholic Church, there are different religious orders. And each religious order has its own charism, its own gift, its own particular focus, its own way of finding God and encouraging other people to find God. Uh, Not necessarily mandating it, but realizing that God reveals God's self in a multiplicity of ways. 
and uh, there may be certain affinities that people have. For example, uh, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Jesuits, these are all different religious orders based on the particular vision of one founder. The vision of St. Ignatius was that uh, God is present in all things, and all things are present in God. So the Jesuits, as a religious order, have used many uh, different ways to show people that God is indeed present in all things. There are Jesuits who are doctors. There are Jesuits who are biologists, who are lawyers, who are writers, who are astronomers, who are mathematicians, physicists, uh, you name it. There are a few of us that are actors, others that are involved in other, uh, other aspects of the theater, film, and television. And what is beautiful about the Jesuits is that there is the recognition that in all of these human activities, there is a way of finding a pathway to God that I can, in my work, find how God desires for me to be alive in that work, how God desires for me to allow that work to, uh, to really build up the world, to really encourage others, console others. And as such, it really is a ministry of the Word. Now, you don't wear anything special to indicate that you're a priest, and people don't always know that you're a priest right away when they meet you. How do people usually react when they find out? A lot of people, when they find out that I'm a, a priest and an actor, they'll ask me, oh, they let you do that? And I always kind of chuckle with that statement because there are, there are two really big assumptions in that. The, the one is that either the theater is so decadent and so crazy that the church would want nothing to do with it, or that the church is so rigid and backward that it could not see the value in something like theater. But what we remember, if we look at theater history, is that Western theater, after after the Greeks and after uh, the barbarian invasions from the north, theater was basically non-existent until it came back in the church. Theater was reborn in the church in the year 970 at the Easter Vigil and uh, as part of a liturgical celebration. So the early part of Western theater, the part certainly that influenced Shakespeare, were the mystery plays, the morality plays, the miracle plays. And all of these were performed first in the church and then on the steps of the church and part of church celebrations. So for me, I find that my work in the theater and my work as a priest and as a teacher, they really all complement each other. The class that I'm teaching at Hebrew Union right now is a class that I'm team teaching with Rabbi Lori Katz-Braun, and it's about um, the creative process and the spiritual life and how those two things are very much akin to each other, not estranged from each other. What is your everyday routine like? How do you reconcile being a priest and being a teacher and a working actor every day? I, I live in a community of uh, 10 Jesuits, people that are involved in different works. Some teach at university, uh, some work in parishes, some are in studies, uh, some are in campus ministry, some work in the governance of the Jesuits. Uh, but the community itself is a place where we all find encouragement and nourishment for our common work. How I'm a priest every day, I think 
models how the early Jesuits were priests every day. And what they saw is in any work that they did, an opportunity to bring people closer to God. I'll tell you a story, for example. I was doing a production of Il Monaco e la Filia del Boia in, in Italy with Ellen Stewart and the Great Jones Company. And it was a collaboration between some American actors and some Italian actors. I usually don't let people know immediately about my my life as a priest because I think people in the theater have a lot of baggage toward organized religion and very often it puts a wedge in the working relationship. That being said, I never back away from it once it's addressed or once there's an opportunity for me to share that. And in this particular production, I did. I shared that and when one of the actors in the company uh, heard that, he pulled me aside at one of our last performances and he said, before you go back to America, I'd like you to hear my confession. I've been away from the church for 17 years and I think it's about time that I went back. Now, had I not been a priest and an actor, that moment would have gone. That moment would not have presented itself. And I think that was the genius of Ignatius, is he allowed for different worlds to come together so that people that might not have ready access to the sacraments might have them in situations like this. If you look at the beginning of the Jesuits, there was a lot of discussion as to whether or not they should be a priestly order. And what Ignatius found was that in his primary focus, which was the giving of these spiritual exercises, that it would be inevitably the case that someone would want to reconcile, to celebrate the sacrament of reconciliation, to confess. And that it was uh, for this reason, and of course for the graces of the other sacraments, of the Eucharist, um, which is really central to uh, Jesuit spirituality, our, our vows are taken in the presence of the Eucharist, that uh, these sacramental elements would help us to be present to other people who were seeking, who were searching. And yet our involvement in these other areas would allow us to bring people into contact with the opportunity for the sacraments that might not present them to them had we not been involved in these other areas. So would a Jesuit then be a parish priest as well, or would that not happen? There are some Jesuits that are parish priests. There are some Jesuits that are involved in other ministries that uh, work in parishes on the weekends. I myself am in that situation. But there is a recognition that our life as priests goes beyond the walls of the church and, in fact, can bring people into the church, can be an opportunity for people to come back to the church. So that while uh, we do have involvement in the parishes, it's not exclusively the way a diocesan priest would be assigned to a parish or the way uh, some other orders that have the parish as the center of their life uh, might be committed to a particular parish. You're listening to Fordham Conversations on WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org. I'm Nora Flaherty. I had this morning It's Cityscape. On today's show, a conversation with New Yorker writer Adam Gopnik about raising kids in New York City. That's Cityscape with George Bodarchy this morning at 7.30. We're talking this morning on Fordham Conversations with George Drance. He's the artistic director of the Magis Theatre Company. Their production of The Great Divorce plays January 17th through February 11th at Theatre 315 in New York City's Theatre District. 
Drance is an artist in residence at Fordham University, a Jesuit priest, and a working actor. I asked him about the kinds of roles that he likes to play. I usually play the classics. I love doing Shakespeare. I love doing the Greeks. A lot of my work has been with Ellen Stewart's company, the Great Jones Company, down at La Mama. You also have done some more commercial stuff, um, like you were in an ad for the History Channel. Uh, Yes, I was uh, George Washington in an ad that ran to promote one of the History Channel's documentary on the life of George Washington. That was a lot of fun to wear the hat and to have dirt thrown at you as they have uh, kind of fake cannons going off and things like that. So uh, it was a lot of fun. Are you ever up for jobs that you think, I really shouldn't do this, this is inappropriate? There have been jobs that I've turned down, yes. And um, part of that is working with agents who understand uh, the character of my work. Uh, Also, part of it is people not perhaps understanding why I would refuse a role or why I would accept a role. Usually the criteria that I like to use is, does this enlighten something about humanity that leaves room for redemption, that leaves room for hope, that leaves room for reconciliation. I I was asked to do certain pieces of theater that really had no offensive language or no situations that you would consider overtly morally questionable, but I just felt it was a nihilistic piece or a real no hope in it whatsoever, an exploitation of cruelty for shock effect. And it just really didn't interest me as a project and really didn't resonate with what I felt my mission is as an artist. And there is so little time to do the kind of work that you want to do, uh, to take on work like that where it really rubs against who you are as a human being. It just doesn't make sense. I have one more question, and I will I will close with this. Why did you decide to become a priest? When I was a student at Marquette University, I was preparing to be an actor. And I had uh, the, the good fortune to uh, know Dan Schutte, who at the time was a Jesuit priest and a composer. And he became my spiritual director. It was through him that I saw this really beautiful blending of these two worlds of his music and his um, his spirituality, his love for God. I've always felt very blessed, and my family grew up with a deep spirituality, a deep love for God, for Christ, and I've always wanted to do something. I was also blessed in high school being involved with a group that uh, is still around uh, Creative Educational Services, and they always instilled in us that acting was a service. It wasn't really anything more than that. It was a way of of serving others. So these two elements in my life really led me to desire to be that way as an actor. At Marquette, I met the Jesuits, and I saw that this was a really wonderful way to uh, perhaps hold myself accountable to that journey, to allow myself the support of uh, people who were like-minded who were looking for the same goal, for the same journey, the same mission. And so my desire to become a Jesuit really was a wonderful tying together of these many threads of my life. It's a big commitment, though. 
It is. It's a commitment that I have to make every day and have to recommit to over and over again. But like any commitment, there is a real joy and a real vitality in the purification of letting go of the things that you cannot uh, hold on to when you commit to one thing. Well, George Trans, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. That was George Drantz. He's an artist in residence at Fordham University, and he is the artistic director of the Magis Theatre Company. Their new production, The Great Divorce, plays January 17th through February 11th at Theatre 315. You can learn more about the Magis Theatre Company at magis-theatre.tripod.com. From WFUV, this has been Fordham Conversations. Up next, it's Cityscape with George Bodarkey. I'm Nora Flaherty. Thanks for listening, and have a great weekend. This is WFUV 90.7 and WFUV.org.